Welcome to the Wet Podcast, episode number 13. Thanksgiving here in the United States, and uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about things I'm thankful for. Uh, this week has kind of snuck up on me. I, I, I guess I didn't realize that Thanksgiving was coming so quickly, and I, uh, I didn't set up an interview, and I, I, I've been really, really busy. So uh, I'm recording this on uh, Tuesday, the 25th which is a couple of days before Thanksgiving, and it should be released on Friday. But I'm headed out of town this weekend, and I will not have my microphone with me, and I might not even have an internet connection where I'm going. <laughs> so I thought I'd do this early, and uh, hopefully I'm going to try to schedule it to release on Friday via Libsyn, although um, it may very well just come out earlier than that. I don't know. So you get to listen to me today, if you like, talk about things that are on my mind. Now, one of the things that's been on my mind lately is uh, the idea of entrepreneurialism. Uh, I was listening to uh, Joanna Penn's web uh, podcast with Derek Murphy the other day, and uh, they were talking about being entrepreneurs and, and you know, um, selling their work and stuff like that, you know, stuff that you, you hear a lot in the in the publishing community. Um, and it occurred to me, you know, Derek Murphy is doing a, a PhD in literature. And I often found that the, at least in my experience with the PhD program, with the doctoral program at Wayne State, um, I found that in the academic world, there is a tension, I guess, tension between making money and making art and making intellectual arguments and, and things like that. There's a, there's this, I think a widespread feeling that everything should be, I don't know, free done freely. You know, academic labor is, is not generally done for, for money except for the salary you might get as a, um, as a professor. And there's this idea, and this is true in many artist communities and, and, and intellectual movements, that the uh, idea of making money is kind of anathema to the idea of creating art. And I, I myself have only recently begun to realize that that is not true. And it's been liberating, that realization, and it's also filled me with tension because I don't really like the idea of selling myself. I don't really like the idea of um, of doing things for money. It feels dirty, or at least it used to feel dirty to me. And now I'm starting to, to reevaluate that. And I don't think it's me leaving one realm for the other. What I think is, is that it's me finding a way to, to mesh the two um, in ways that maybe some other people have already figured out, but I think that by and large uh, is not the case in the, in the academic world. 
What do I mean by this? <laughs> what do I mean by this? Um, I guess what I mean is that you know, is in the academic world, you're writing, you're writing jargon-filled arguments um, that are aimed at an extremely small audience, and even if you're an artist in that world, you, you know, a lot of people do very obscure things. Um, obscure poetry, for example, that sort of thing that, that has no, uh, kind of place in the marketplace. There's no, it's not viable as a, uh, as a marketable item. And there's not absolutely nothing wrong with that, of course. Um, but I think that with that comes an attitude that things that are marketable are bad. And anybody who thinks in that term, in those terms, uh, is, is wrongheaded and for some reason, uh, which which I think is completely untrue in a way because I think that the entire academic kind of um, maze, <laughs> the academic race, what am I trying to say? That the um, the whole academic mindset is built around building reputation. It's built around selling oneself in some way or another. You write articles to put on your CV. You write books to put on your CV. You write books to get tenure. You, uh, you know, do blogs and, uh, and things like that and do conferences in order to build up your CV and get things to write. And, you know, everybody's hoping to get those juicy guest lectures at places where you get invited to Amsterdam and Turkey and, uh, you know, exotic places in order to share your knowledge and get those, get stipends and get wined and dined and all that stuff. And that's okay. That's not marketing. You know, that's not crass, uh, commercialism. Uh, but it is, <laughs> but it is, it definitely is. I have those aspirations. I had those aspirations. I, maybe I still do, but in a different way, but it's, uh, it's a game that it, there aren't very many winners, and, and there are fewer and fewer winners now that the uh, economics of the uh, academic publishing system and of academia in general have changed. What I'm finding is that as I turn to writing that I think people might actually want to read, I find myself thinking about audience more than perhaps I used to. And I find myself thinking about how am I going to get these words out there? Am I going to submit them to publishers? Will I submit them to someone within the academic community? Will I put them on a blog? Will I sell them? And it's that selling part that had for a long time rubbed me wrong. Um, you know, my dad was a amateur photographer. He took thousands of pictures. Uh, he had he had so many cameras, so much equipment, uh, a dark room in the basement. He was, and he was good. He was uh, really good at what he did. He understood the theory. He understood the um, the practice. He knew how to take some pictures. He knew how to process them. He was he was really good. Uh, I, in fact, I remember one time going to the Ansel Adams exhibit at the Detroit Institute of the Arts, and you know they they have those little placards next to each photograph, and they have um, a recording that you can listen to as you go through, and 
my dad would just stop in front of a photograph and tell me, oh, well, he took this at this time, and it was this time of day in this place, and here's how he processed it, and, you know, he used this special process with silver and all this other whatever stuff I barely understood. And then I would listen to the to the recording, and the recording would say basically exactly the same thing my dad had said, um, although I think my dad went into even more detail about it. It was a, an incredible several hours we spent at the museum, just me and him. And people would often ask him, like, why don't you why don't you sell your photographs? You know, why don't you go to the, you know, craft shows or photography shows or whatever, you know, and sell them? And his response was that he didn't want to he didn't want to sell his hobby. He didn't he didn't he figured that if he started making money from it, then it, he would no longer enjoy it. Uh that it would no longer be be his hobby anymore to be more like a job and I I respected that at the time and I understood where he was coming from and I think that for a long time I had the same mindset you know that that money things you do for money and things you do for fun have to be separate now I disagree almost entirely with that i'm not saying my dad should have sold his photographs that was his choice but i feel like that if he had i don't think it would have um i don't think it would have changed anything um you know he had this really blue collar working class um mindset of in a way you you do things you don't want to do for money <laughs> he worked in the factory uh for his entire career you know he did very difficult manual labor and uh and he did it in part he told me before because he didn't want me and my sister to do it <laughs> to have to do it so he made he made a lot of money um but i never got the sense that he liked his job you know he didn't hate it um towards the end i don't think but uh but it wasn't something it wasn't his passion to work on to build transmissions at, for ford or to work at the assembly plant and um i think i've had that same the same ethos, I guess you could say, for a long time. You know, I haven't forgotten my roots whatsoever, but I, I think I've got this. Whatever I do for money has to be painful. <laughs> and I I shouldn't make money from things I enjoy. And that doesn't make any sense in a way, even though I, I do believe he was trying to to free me and my sister um, so that we could be the first, you know, we're the we're first generation college students of both of us, and uh, I have a PhD now, and she's a veterinarian, and I think that that was that was his goal all along was to allow us to do things that we love and make a living at it, but somehow unconsciously, I think, um, led by his example, not his not his words, I I picked up this idea that things have to be painful and difficult. And I make things painful and difficult. Um, my writing is, you know, if it's not, if if it's flowing and it's enjoyable, then I must be doing something wrong, I think, sometimes. And on the flip side of that, I mean, that's something I have to deal with every day, every single morning, you know. I wrote 1,200 words this morning, and it went pretty well, and I'm happy about that. But um, there's something else going on 
though, on the other side of it, because I have some almost completed works that I'm afraid to put out into the world. And, and part of it's just the normal insecurities of, of not wanting to reveal too much, much about myself or to, or to be laughed at or whatever it might be. But, um, but some of it, I think is that, that tension, you know, in my mind of, making money at things that I actually enjoy doing and things I'm good at. And so I get that from my dad in a way. And I get that from, um, my academic experience where, um, you know, you have to be kind of anti-commercial in a lot of ways and, and go against the grain and, and things like that, um, to, to survive, ideologically, I guess you could say, um, in academia. And it took me a while to, to, to get that, you know, you're, when you're providing value and you're giving things out, putting things out into the world that people want, it's okay to accept money for that, you know, and it's okay to demand, uh, money for that to some extent. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've been tutoring high school students for the last 12 years or so and make decent money doing it. Um, but for the first, uh, I'd say five years or so, I always dreaded the question of how much do you charge? Because what I charge is more than my dad made at the factory. <laughs> and, you know, just for sitting down with a kid and helping him uh, succeed at the ACT. And I always had this lingering fear in the back of my head that I wasn't really worth what I was quoting them, you know, that they'd see me as a fraud or something. And it only hit me maybe, maybe several years ago that, you know, I have a very specialized skill set. I'm very good at what I do. Um, I have, the, the, these kids have goals and I help them meet those goals and there's, and there's value to that. And the parents who really have the means to, to pay that much and the kids and with, and their kids that have those goals, you know, it's nothing for them, you know, for some of them, um, you know, I think for some it's a struggle, but it, it's, it's worth paying that cost, you know, because this, that what I do, there aren't very many people who can do that, uh, especially in the way that I do it. And it came, it took a long time for me to be able to admit that without feeling conceited, egotistical, um, or even, like I said, fraudulent. And I, you know, I've raised my fees over the years and I, and I intend to continue to do so. You know, and as long as people are willing to pay that, I'll, I'll keep doing it. Um, as long as I want to do it anyway, um, I'm hoping that perhaps my writing and other things will, will begin to replace some of that income. But what I'm talking about is this entrepreneurial spirit. I would never have considered myself an entrepreneur 10 years ago, even when I was, when I, I was actually, you know, doing the tutoring and all that. And it's only recently that I've begun to think, well, I provide a service, I get paid for it, right? It's, it's pretty simple. And for a long time, that translated into teaching as well, because I would just take whatever they would give me, you know, oh, well, uh, you know, I have this adjunct position and someone's offering me a job, I guess I'll take this piddly amount of money. And, you know, there's a certain self-loathing that goes on there, you know, because in part, you feel like you're part of the problem too, uh, especially when it comes to, to taking adjunct gigs. 
you know, you're getting paid very little with no benefits most of the time, and you're doing the same thing a, a full professor would do. And you have most of, most adjuncts have an incredible amount of experience and expertise, um, but they're getting paid almost poverty wages. And you know, we kind of just take what we're given, and and that's another thing that I've begun to learn is that I don't have to do that. I don't have to do that. So, um, you know, it's all about self-worth in a way and, and, and articulating how much I'm worth. You know, even if I were to land a tenure-track job, which which I would still like to do, to be honest with you, as much as sometimes I bash that, um, even then I'll have to assess, is it worth the price of wherever I have to move and the salary that they're going to offer because it might not even be worth it at this point. Um, it, I don't want to do it for the prestige or the lifestyle. I want to, you know, you, I want to be able to live and pay down my student debt and, uh, and pay my bills and all that. So there's, there are a lot of considerations there getting that tenure track job. I mean, is it, is it the same as my dad working in the factory? No, it's not. It's not, but there's a certain sense of, you know, something is it, is it something I have to do that I don't like to do? And while the things I like to do, I can, I can only do it for free. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And that's why, for me, writing has become such a charged thing, you know? It's why I, I, I still battle these demons of, you know, can I can I charge for my writing? How much can I charge for my writing? Will people buy it? You know, that sort of thing. You know, and in the back of my head, I, I think a lot of writers have this. There's just like, you know, what makes me so special? How how dare I, <laughs> um, you know, kind of ask people to pay for, you know, for my words? You know, it's kind of, uh, you know, where do I get off sort of thing? And uh, I'm 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 very, very quickly getting over that. So I don't feel too bad calling myself an entrepreneur in that, in that sense. Um, and I think that any writer or any artist, um, or even maybe even every academic who, who thinks they're not selling their stuff or, you know, if they don't have to put a price on it in some way or another, I think they're fooling themselves to, to a large extent. And I think that art and commerce can coexist, maybe even should coexist. We'll see. So it's Thanksgiving coming up here going away and it's the time where we're supposed to think about the things for which we are thankful and I do end up complaining a lot in my life and maybe even on this podcast and uh, I think maybe it'd be nice to talk about some of the things that for which I'm grateful right and I think we should all maybe stop and do this for some time they say that people who are grateful who express gratitude live are healthier <laughs> generally speaking um which I guess makes it less altruistic if you're thinking about it like that but um but no no I just want to talk about you know what 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 am I thankful for I mean I'm thankful for lots of things I'm thankful for my family yeah I'm thankful for the the people around me thankful for you know everybody that I come in contact to with into <laughs> I'm thankful for everybody with whom I come into contact with on a daily basis um Rebecca and Ada my mom my sister my brother-in-law my nephew my niece you know I'm really thankful for all of these people um although some of them I don't see as often as I like I'm thankful for 
my mom, who I don't visit as often as I should. I'm thankful for my dad, even though he's been gone for for some time now. Um, I still think about him all the time. And I'm thankful for the lessons that he, that he taught me and the experience that experiences that I had with him. I'm thankful for all the people I've interviewed on this podcast, <laughs> um, who have all the people who have agreed to to come on so far. You know, Audrey Waters, and uh, Paul Levinson, and Howard Rheingold, and Sean Platt, Johnny Truant, David Wright. I'm thankful for all those people, and Kim Lacey, and Jim Kukral, and Amy Schmidtower, and Ashley Carlson, and Simon Whistler, and Denise Winters. I am thankful to all of those people for coming on and talking to me for half an hour or an hour about whatever it is that uh, interests them and whatever it is interests me about them. You know, it's been, uh, you know, we're on episode 13 now, so it's been about three months, you know, which isn't that long, I suppose, but... Um, you know, that's a, that's a fair number of interviews and I've been really, um, happy with all of them. And it's been a, it's been so far a good experience. So I'm really thankful for that. I'm thankful for the internet. <laughs> Aren't we all thankful for the internet in some way? I'm thankful that the internet lets me do this. Let's me sit here in my bathroom, in my living room on a Tuesday, talking into this microphone so that I can edit it later and release it out into the world and you can listen to it if you choose to. I'm thankful for the fact that I've been able to keep in contact with people who live far away. You know, uh, my friend Chris, who lives in Korea, my friend Eric, who lives in Turkey, you know, all my friends who live in various places around the country, Rob in California, you know, the internet helps keep me keep in contact with these people. And I'm very, very happy about that. Um, it helps me waste a lot of time and not be as productive as I want to be sometimes. <laughs> That's for sure. But the Internet's a wonderful thing. We just need to be thankful for that, I think, you know, for the most part. I'm thankful for my students. My students teach me as much or more than I teach them every semester. I learn things from them that... I never would have anticipated learning. And some of it's just knowledge. They just tell me about things I didn't know about. And some of it is ways of interacting with people. Yeah, sometimes they teach me patience. Um, you know, the interaction, every semester, the interactions between my students and, you know, and me in the classroom, it's, it's, oh, every semester is unique. And it all depends on the people in the room, what they bring. And, you know, the kind of environment that we create. And it's it always amazes me at the end of a semester how these complete strangers to each other and to me become a little mini community. And, you know, I, I walk away better each time. Tired. <laughs> exhausted sometimes. But better in a, in a lot of ways. I'm thankful to all my teachers over the years. My elementary school teachers, my middle school teachers, my high school teachers, you know, my high school teachers that inspired me to become a teacher, uh, my my college professors, uh, and all the people who have taught me in an informal way, maybe without even realizing that they're teaching me things. I try to learn things from, te from people anywhere I go, anybody I talk to, I, I try to learn something from them because everybody has something to teach. 
and I'm thankful to each and every one of them. That's something to think about, too, as you go through your life, you know, because even if you don't think of yourself as a teacher, you have things, you have, there are things that you know, um, things that you know how to do, ways of being, perhaps, that you can teach other people, and you probably do every day, <laughs> don't even realize it. Um, sometimes those are the best teachers, the ones who don't know that they're teaching, but I do uh, appreciate everybody, everybody who's taught me anything. Other podcasters. <laughs> I'm thankful for other podcasters. I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I really have learned so much from so many of them. Uh, film podcasts, writing podcasts, humor podcasts, um, all kinds of things. I, 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 It's amazing to me how um, connected I feel to, to the podcasts I listen to and how I've become connected to some of them in, in real life. And I just, you know, the value that this has added to my life, just listening to other people talk or present information in, in various ways, it's been great, you know, and it's, it's a great, um, medium, I think for, for expressing oneself, for communicating, for connecting, um, you should start a podcast. If you don't have, if you're listening to this and you don't have a podcast, I'll bet there's something that you are interested in and have expertise in that you could give to the world. Think about it. It's really simple. All I have here is a, a run-of-the-mill laptop, some free software, and a microphone. The microphone I'm using costs me, I think, like thirty-five or forty dollars. But you don't even need that if you don't want it. You can do it on your own computer. And, you know, I'm paying for file hosting um, for this, but you don't have to. There are ways to do it for free. And uh, you could you could put content out there tomorrow if you wanted to build an audience. There will be an audience for whatever you have to say. It's, it's a wonderful thing. I'm thankful for writers. I'm reading William Gibson's... Um, What's it called? <laughs> the Peripheral right now. And, uh, you know, I'm really thankful to William Gibson for writing that. <laughs> I'm thankful to all the writers I know who just keep plugging along. I'm thankful for all of the, the great art I've read over the years. I'm a voracious reader. I love reading. Always have. And um, I just, uh, you know, just people who write, people who create art in general, but people who write, you know, you create universes, you create worlds. And if you can draw me in and either let me escape for a while or teach me something or even better, both, that's, that's a wonderful thing. So to all the writers I know personally and to, um, all the writers I don't know, I'm, I'm very thankful for, for that. I'm thankful to my ex-girlfriends <laughs> for teaching me things. And for putting up with me, um, yeah, for helping me grow, even if you didn't mean to, and no matter how painful that might have been for everybody involved, um, I'm <laughs> yes, all of you. I'm thankful for music. I love music. I'm listening to music all the time. I spent most of my afternoon today listening to. Uh, to Mike Patton, 
of uh, Faith No More and Phantomas, and then I found the Slayer medley that they did, and I started listening to Slayer, and then maybe that's not for everybody, but you know, music has been a constant throughout my life, uh, from adolescence up through up through now, and I love I love finding new music. I love music that moves me. Anything from Zoe Keating to Slayer to Weird Al to Mastodon to Amanda Palmer to whatever. I, I listen to all kinds of different things to classical to movie soundtracks. I'm really thankful for music. One of my uh, I don't know if it's a regret necessarily, but um, one thing that I guess. I don't know. I feel a little sad about it, is that I've never been good at producing music. I've never been a musician myself. I don't. Um, I can't keep a tune. I can't keep a melody. Whatever. I don't even know the terminology, do I? But can't keep a beat. Uh, my parents paid for organ lessons. Bought me an organ and played for organ lessons when I was young, and I I liked it. I really enjoyed it, but I just I never felt good at it. <laughs> You know, I could never play instruments, and I shouldn't say. I guess I shouldn't say never because I could. I could probably pick up an instrument tomorrow and at least start to learn. Right? Um, you know, I don't feel like I can sing. Uh, I'm just not very. I don't feel very adept at music. Uh, maybe that's a limiting belief, and maybe I should. Maybe that could be my next. Uh, my next project is is uh, trying to produce something, some kind of music. Pick up an instrument, maybe some uh, electronic music, something like that. But I don't think I need to produce it in order to to understand and and respond to it, you know. And and listening to music for me is a very very important thing. And I'm just I really I really love it. And I I hadn't really realized. I mean, I've always known that about myself. But the the fact that I so often have music in the background or things I'm listening to kind of uh, struck me recently. Um, when I had uh, my students do a, uh, they had them take a journal of all the media they consume on a daily basis for three days, and the the fact that music was such a part of their lives, and I started thinking about it, I was like, yeah, yeah, that's definitely true of me too. I like going to see live music a lot. I like, uh, like I said, discovering new stuff. So, although I don't make it, I, uh, I you know, I'm very thankful for music. I'm thankful for my listeners. For the people who listen to this podcast and my other podcast, people who read my blog, you know, just anybody who, uh, I guess, pays attention to to what I'm doing. I'm very thankful for you. You know, if you're, if you're listening to this, you're probably about 30 minutes into this podcast and you've just listened to my voice for all this time. And I'm thankful for that. You know, I think that's uh, really nice that you find value in what I'm doing. Um providing something for you i'm i'm very it makes me very happy to to know that and i uh, you know and i thank you for listening for taking the time you know there's so many things you could be doing right now there are so many things that we could all be doing at any moment of the day you know and for you to take your time out of your day and listen to this i'm very thankful uh when you read my blog or read my books whatever it is i'm thankful for that as well there's a lot of other stuff I'm thankful for, <laughs> very much so. But I think that's a pretty good start. I would love to hear what you're thankful for. I'd love to see some comments in the uh, show notes, you know, at ericmarshall.net slash wet. This is episode 13. Tell me what you're thankful for or shoot me an email, eric at ericmarshall.net. That's E-R-I-K at ericmarshall, E-R-I-K, 
marshall2ls.net. Uh, let me know what you're thankful for. You can hit me up at eMarsh on Twitter. I do like Twitter. I like when people contact me on Twitter. So tell me what you're thankful for on Twitter. There's so much negativity in this world. And, you know, once in a while, once in a while, maybe it's okay to focus on the positive. <laughs> for a lot of you, that's no problem. For me, you know, I tend to be a pretty morose person a lot of times. So it feels good to you know throw some positivity into the into the mix into the mic as it were <laughs> so again thanks for listening this will be a this will be a short solo cast this week no i'm not going to read anything from the memoir this was all uh, off the top of my head extemporaneous and uh, i just thought it would be nice to do for thanksgiving week so this is 2014 happy thanksgiving everybody i'll see you next week bye